Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Good. A little bit of a colder day out there. Yeah, it's down to zero. Down to zero overnight. uh, Frost on the pumpkins. You know, it's that time of year, right? Already. So, Bruce, uh, quicker than expected. And quicker than I had hoped, honestly, because I was thinking that you could get some bargains if you waited in the uh, free agency period, if you just were a little bit slow on certain things. Thought it might that's when you might want to do your shopping. But Ken Holland does look to, uh, he does appear by his statements, at least, to probably be done. I don't, there's still people holding out hope that the orders will make a trade, some kind of trade, or maybe buy out Jujar Kara, Jonathan Willis, or our uh, old colleague mentioned that idea, which buy is a out? bad idea. Buy out Kara and sign another forward. Very little. You just the buyout would cost three hundred thousand dollars over two years in cap hit. And there's are lots of good forwards who are going to be had for a million dollars who are a lot better than Jude or Kara. I didn't hate the idea. Anyway, wh- whatever Jonathan was suggesting, I don't think is happening. I think, I think the Oilers are done. I don't think they're going to be moving Chris Russell or Jude or Kara or anything like that. I think they're done. Um, Ken Holland has been on the radio, a couple different radio interviews I've heard where he, he's strongly intimated, at least from my hearing, and I'm hoping to hear otherwise, like I'm hoping to hear like he's going to do something more. But from what I'm hearing, uh, both on Oilers Now and in NHL Network interviews, he sounded like they're done. And they've got 22 out of 23 contracts. They've got to uh, sign up Bear, Ethan Bear, and I think William Logason. I think he left that yep. out. I don't think. And Lagos is a key contract, actually. For a, I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, so, Bruce, it sounds like they're done. We did a poll. Um, maybe I should try to find the exact results. But essentially, the results were 85% of Oilers fans, and there was more than 3,000 people who took this poll. 85% either gave Holland an A or a B, with most people giving him a B. And I think that I would give, I would give him a B as well. What would you give him? Yeah, um, B sounds about about enough frankly i mean but i at least understand what he was doing and i do understand that he was uh working with uh, one hand tied behind his back because of uh, you know cap restraints and so he had uh, uh just a limited amount that he could do and he had a, you know a couple of ways he could have gone and uh, uh he really could afford one decent you know uh player <laughs> plus yeah plus you know over two million dollar contract he basically had eight million dollars to sign four players as i reckoned it and at the end of the day and a half he'd spent 7.9 million dollars on four players and plug 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 all those holes were filled with plugs <laughs> and <laughs> not plugs literally or figuratively I'm, I'm joking a little bit but actually he went for he went for a very offensive look you know uh, in terms of the guys that he got for the price that he got them you'd have to say Tyler Ennis primarily an offensive player Kyle Tier is primarily an offensive player Tyson Berry definitely primarily an offensive player and even the guys that he signed for the minor leagues you know Alan Quine and Seth Griffiths those guys are scoring players in the AHL level so he, he really seemed to be looking to to bump the offense and you know he's not wrong in the sense that he had uh, the number one two scores in the NHL last year and yet his team still finished 14th in goals for and so 
you want you need more secondary scoring than what we've got. I wrote a I wrote a lengthy piece about this a couple of days back, and I mentioned that out of uh, 671 NHLers with 400 minutes, so basically 31 teams at 12 forwards would be almost exactly that number. And the Oilers had five guys in the top 60 and six guys in the bottom 40. And only one guy in between, Josh Archibald, and even he scored at a fourth-line rate. So they have five like very good scorers at five-on-five five and nothing else. So yeah. I, I did not count uh, Tyler Ennis in there because he didn't play 400 minutes with the Oilers. Um, but obviously, uh, uh, Holland went back to his own roster to bring back Tyler Ennis. You know, in fairness, he was a new Oiler. He's not going back to the well. He only was here for nine games. And he went back to the well for uh, Mike Smith. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. And he went back to the well for Yesipul Yarvi. And you know what? There's only two new players on this roster that haven't played with the Oilers before. Just two guys. And uh, Barry and Turris. So he must clearly have liked the team that he put together last year because he really has most of it intact at this moment. Turris might be be kind of like a, and and I don't, I'm not, this isn't going to sound good, but he might be kind of like an Eric Belanger signing, except instead of signing Belanger, I think they got him at 33. We're getting Turris, we're getting Turris, oh, my cat's here, at, um, we're getting, he always pesters me. Be said uh, at age thirty-one or thirty, whatever it is. So it's a couple <laughs> years earlier in the in the cycle, and of course, Turris was a better player than Belanger ever was in the NHL. I mean, no one ever said Eric Belanger was a first-line center, and some people thought that of Kyle Turris for a few years. So maybe that comparison isn't that apt. Although I do see them as finesse centers um, who can put up some points. Um, anyway, Belanger used to always put up forty points. Yeah, um, you, you know, and he. Just 40, but he'd do it year after year. But the other thing is they oh, I signed him for three years and wound up buying out the third year, whereas um, Tourist is only two years. Now, that one thing Holland doesn't seem to be doing is investing big term in anybody. He likes one- and two-year deals, and that's pretty much all he's done. So the offered, reportedly, Bruce, seven years to Markstrom at $5 million. And and if he had done that, I'd be trying to convince myself. Like I think I said this before, trying to convince myself it was a good move. But uh, I don't see that as a good. That would not have been a good move. I don't think five million dollar cap hit, like for maybe for a few years. But after that, like a, a goalie going into his thirties, Markstrom's got a good record, but it's not a stellar record, and he could easily crash. So yeah, I like the so. You're getting at what I like the most about the direction of the orders. They signed all attacking skilled players. We've talked about three scoring lines forever in mm-hmm. on this podcast, all over Oilers mm-hmm. Twitter, everywhere. Three scoring lines. This is the direction they're clearly going in. It's not just like maybe at any now. Clearly, mm-hmm. they're going to go for one shutdown line, and that I I could see that line uh, being. Um, Haas, let me just go on my list here. Haas, um, Gaytan Haas, Josh Archibald, and Zach Cassian. As when it as things play out, I think that could be their their shutdown checking line, which could be a really good energy line. Like that, those are three pretty good players, if you ask me. Cassian certainly paid like one, so I hope he's one. And um, but other than that, Bruce, they could have three scoring lines. Now, and so as I envision the lines, Ennis, McDavid, and Puglia Yarvi. 
on wow. line one. Okay. Uh, RNH, Settle and Yamamoto on line two. Yeah, and you don't break up the best line in the league unless you're nuts. Sorry, coach. And uh, James Neal, Kyle Turris, and Chase on kind of replicating their an effective line in the playoffs, except putting Turris in for Kara. And that line, I think, could he, Turris isn't a great puck carrier, but I think he's a little bit more of a puck distributor and carrier than Kara, definitely, yeah. without a doubt. So you put him between those two veterans, and you have this really veteran kind of line to throw out there as your you know, your third, I don't know which is the third line, which is the fourth line, it doesn't really matter. But I think you have two pretty functional lines at the bottom, more functional than in the past. And three lines, um, you know, would the Taurus chase on Neil line score much at even strength? Well, I think they might be able to to put in, we'll see. I mean, I like chase on as a player, he bangs hard. James Neal has, a, I think, a bit left in the tank and we'll see what what Taurus has. But those could be the three lines. Now, maybe you put Pugliarvi on the, mix it up, put Pugliarvi with Turris to give that line an obvious young puck-carrying threat mm-hmm. and kind of tell Jesse, okay, you're the man on this line. Go mm-hmm. for it. And that that could work as well. So there's different, all kinds of different combinations, but the, I I see three lines that can score here, and I'm I'm pretty thrilled about that. That's my take, is that Pugliarvi will team up with Turris on the third line, and he won't, you know, that high expectations of putting him with Connor and Leon, put him on a different line and put him in a, in a more of a feature role where they're going to be playing less against the very top guys on the other team, right? I mean, you play with Connor, you're playing against all the top, uh, all the top defenders and, and checking lines of the other team. And ideally, you've got some of the secondary scoring to take on some of these soft minutes where the other team, you know, eventually they're going to have to play their third line, a third pairing. And if your third line is is uh, talented, uh, they can take advantage of that. And I, I see Turris and Pugliarvi as being a duo. And and what goes on on the left side? I mean, it could be Neil, it could be Ennis. I'm for now. My default is the three guys they just signed: Ennis, Turris, Pugliarvi is the new third line. And I give a third line. Don't mind. Yeah, not don't mind it at all. And I left out from my list of the top four lines. There are players like Tyler Benson, Judra Kara, Patrick Russell, Joachim Nigard. And Joachim Nigard, if he's healthy, I think would be in that top 12. I think he's he's a better player than right now. The James Neal, uh, he's a better player than Josh Archibald, frankly. I think Joachim Nigard, if he's if he's healthy, uh, he, he offers more nice to me. To oh, yeah, it would be nice to see, and I hope we see that. So, Bruce, I, I guess uh, I was just thrilled. And the other thing that, that they solved... If they wanted to, let's say they let's say they just really wanted to go for an attacking defense this year. Let's say, let's say, and even even if Oscar Clefbaum is out for the whole year, you could still pick a lineup with six puck moving defensemen on this team. You could go with Caleb Jones, Darnell Nurse, and Philip Broberg on one side, Ethan Bear, Tyson Berry, and Evan Bouchard on another side, and so this is six. And, and we're just, we're at this point, we're, we've cleft bombs out and we've benched Russell and Larson. So, you know, the whole idea that the Oilers, the reality that the Oilers no, don't have puck-moving talent on the team and that they're, that's a real weakness on this team, suddenly, especially if Broberg turns out, as everyone's hoping, as I'm hoping, and Bouchard turns out, suddenly this team, we've got some real threats back there, and it's kind of thrilling. And Tyson Berry, I mean, they've... 
they could really launch a great attack from the back end, something that they haven't been able to do, well, since 2008-09 when they had a pretty yep. good group, I guess. They had four good ones in 08-09 that all scored over 30 points and one that scored over 50 points, which hasn't happened since. So this is thrilling. And I mean, we'll see what happens with Broberg and Bouchard, but I just love that direction as well. And Tyson Berry was a, is a huge part of that. Like he... He gives both Broberg or Broberry, as they call him in Sweden, and Bouchard um, time to time to develop. There's no there's no need to rush Broberry. He he could be um, not this year, but next year, right. and um, you'll go. He's with, only 19 years old. That's right, and you so you you have Caleb Jones and Russell and Nurse and the rest of them. William Loggison. Let's just talk briefly about this because one of the things that worries me a little in looking at this roster is the expansion draft coming up. And how you're going to keep hold of Caleb Jones? Yep. And so you, I think you need. They're going to need to sign. Now, if Clefbaum's on the IR all year, could you expose him in the expansion draft? Would you? Is that allowed? Do we know that or not? I don't think you're allowed to expose him if there is, you know, any sort of long-term. You're you're not allowed to say he's the guy we're exposing to you when the guy is racked up. So I don't, I don't think that's a way out. I think if they didn't protect him, uh, Seattle would be able to pick him, but Edmonton would still need to put another player that met the criteria onto the uh, uh, onto the list. So maybe uh, they need to sign Loggison on a two-year deal, Bruce, at mm-hmm. NHL minimum. Give him two years. Yep. I think he's good enough to – like, I'm not worried about that because I think Bill, William uh, Wild Bill <coughs> – excuse me – can play in the NHL as a seventh D or third pairing D man. He's not a bad hockey player, William Loggison. People haven't seen him much in Edmonton, but the, the guy can skate. He's physical. He can he can make the make a play. Like as a as a seventh D man, um, he's actually kind of perfect. So plug in on your yeah. third pairing. So I maybe they maybe they should sign him to a two year deal. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. In fact, I wrote a. a entire post on this very theme about maybe three months ago now about Lagesson and saying, suggesting how he might be key to the Vegas uh, expansion draft, but he would have to be under contract. So they could either sign him for one year and then re-sign him during the year, during the expansion draft. So they can go that way. So they can do that. Or they can just give him a two-year pact. If they give him one year, then they can open negotiations on January 1st and they could easily extend him then. So that's, that's one option. But the key is he would have to play 40 games for Edmonton or the equivalent in however long the season is going to be. And I think they'll probably prorate all that stuff. But basically, you'd have to play half the games to to make the threshold. And otherwise, they're going to have to expose somebody who maybe they don't want to with uh, Caleb Jones being sort of the obvious guy that's uh, right in the bubble on that score. So given that Jones, the progress he made and the great two-year contract he signed... Uh, my thinking was they should either sign Lagesson or Benning to a two-year extension. If they could have got Benning for the contract that Nashville got him for, two times one million, he would have been ideal. But uh, unfortunately, he got that in Nashville. Can you trade for a guy? Like, could the Oilers wait till the trading deadline and then trade for a guy who's played 40 games, like who has met oh, the sure. requirement? It doesn't have to be for your team. It's just 40 right. NHL in, games. In the NHL games, either 40 games this year or 70 games in the last two years. Uh, that the guy has to has to uh, 
uh, have under his belt. So sometimes you might have a guy that got hurt and missed a bunch of time this year, but he's been on your team for a while. And, you know, over two years he's played enough games. So there's lots of choices out there. And there's other guys. I mean, they could go out and sign a guy and... and uh, uh, they couldn't it, sign a guy next... No, because the draft will come before the UFA period. Right. So they no, can't I mean, sign a guy, sign next, a guy now. Right now. One who's yeah. already played 70 games, I guess. Who's already played, you know, 50 or... You know, 40, 50 games, whatever. I mean, say they went out and signed Slater Kukuk. And if they sign him two years, and uh, uh, he's already got probably 60 games that he played in Chicago last year, so he'd only have to sort of be a spot player, and he would be the kind of player they could expose. But, I mean, I actually like him as a signing as a, as a depth defenseman who, who could play games. But. Well, maybe maybe that kind of player is going to be available, Bruce, like a, an actual NHL D-man who might spend a lot mm-hmm. of time in the minors. You're kind of writing off Lagasin at that point as your seventh D-man. Well, but, yeah. But you have to also factor in the expansion draft. You, what you could do is go with Lagasin, and then at the trade deadline, you could pick up someone probably for a pretty cheap, um, just to meet that requirement, uh, that might be a possibility because they have the same issue in net. If I'm not mistaken, they they have to expose at least one goalie. So who I don't know how many games the goalie has to have played. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, uh, the goalie. Uh, yeah, the goalie has to be. Uh, he doesn't even necessarily have to be signed, but they have to have signing rights to the goalie because there's so few goalies. Like some could that be Mike get, Smith then? Uh, well, they don't have signing rights to him because he'd oh, be because of the UFA. So, so it could be couldn't be Anton Forsberg. So they like let's say it's Forsberg. Uh, Maybe you just yeah, sign Forsberg you have to, to play another num- deal. You have to play a number of games anyway. There's there's work. The goalies are different because there's so few of them. But with a defense and forward, there's a hard and fast rule. I think it's one defenseman and two forwards have to be available who've been regular NHLers. It's sort of the definition of about 40 games in the last year or 70 over the last two years under contract and so that forces the teams to get their ducks in a row and and uh, uh, you know get guys signed and, and uh, with decent NHL experience under their belt to expose so all right so it sounds like it's something that you can keep working on as the year goes on and as you're thinking about things. And and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it doesn't have to be solved right now necessarily. You have till the trading deadline to solve it. And even, well, I guess you can't solve a player. It's got, it's got to be solved at latest by then. Right. And uh, a, a number of teams might be looking for solutions, so that may limit your options as well. All right, Bruce, do you have any final thoughts on if this is it? How, you know, um what, do you like what you see? Do you think they're protected enough on left defense if Clefbaum is out? Well, I'd like to see them get a Slater Cuckoo or similar. Get, just get one more D-man in there. I mean, I'm looking at my list here, and we've got eight eight NHL D-men on it, and one of them is Oscar Clefbaum. So we're already down to seven. And so we've got Larson, Barry, Bear on the right side, uh, Nurse, Russell Jones Lagason on the left side, and that's assuming Bear and Lagason get signed, which I think is a safe bet. Uh, but it's only seven. Then you got Broberg and Bouchard underneath. Now you're either expecting one of those guys to make it, or else you're expecting uh, someone else, like uh, well, Dmitry Samarukov. I don't think he gets out of Russia until their season is over. 
And, you know, there's just really no one else that's an NHL depth defenseman under contract. So I'm still would think there's going to be a PTO. There's going to be something that they're going to cover themselves off. And maybe it'll just be, you know, they'll bring in Jason Garrison like they did three years ago. And they got a guy, you know, but I'd rather they sign, a, you know, one of these bargains. And you know what? You can sign a couple guys. And as long as you're not paying them more than $1.075 million, uh, if they don't make your team and you send them down to the AHL, you can bury all their contract. Well, that's what I'm hoping that they they find they lock into a few bargain basement players still that are out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe Dominic Cahoon at forward. Oh, maybe Slider Cuckoo yeah. on defense. I don't think Cahoon signed today, as far as I know. Like you I know what? Pers- he had two point two. He's averaged two point two points per game in the last two years. Taylor Hall in the last two years has averaged two point three. And he got $8 million. And I looked, Dominic Cahoon's average 2.2. He can't get a contract. I looked Dominic Cahoon up today, but I only looked at this most recent season when he split time between Pittsburgh and Buffalo. And he got traded to Buffalo at the trade deadline. And this year, out of those uh, uh, 671 guys that played 400 minutes, uh, Cahoon was 36th in the NHL in with 2.43 points per 60 at 5-on-5. He played 11 hours. He had 10 goals and 17 assists. Okay, that's pretty darn good. Some Uh, teams are really analytical. You'd think that they would, you know, that's the kind of... It jumps off the screen at me, David. Yeah, me too. He played... uh, His most common line mate in Pittsburgh was Jared McCann. They played 300 minutes together. And Cahoon got six goals and eight assists playing with Jared McCann. And in Buffalo, he played one hour with uh, uh, Marcus Johansson, pretty good player, and he got two goals and two assists. And he was a plus player, like an outscorer, five-on-five outscorer in all three cities he's played. And it's a mystery to me why he's already played on three teams in two years and even Buffalo didn't qualify him at just 925000 Maybe he so, hangs out at the red liners or something. Well, <laughs> maybe he hangs out in the red light district. I mean, I really don't know what's <laughs> what this backstory is. I do know Leon Drysaddle is his boy, boyhood friend and line mate, and they absolutely lit it up in that German league. Two two future NHLers in a U16 league in Germany. It's hilarious. They scored six points per game average each guy. Uh, anyway, and Cahoon outscored Drysaddle. That's the eye popping part. Anyway, I'd love to see uh, him sign in that, you know, but on the other hand, Bruce, they, you know, I'd love to see them give a real chance to pull Yarby too. Well, and he's a left winger and they got a huge gaping hole, a top six left wing. Yeah. Right? If Negard's hurt, if, but they have Tyler Benson and Negard. If those two guys are healthy, well, they're, they're pretty good. And they got a guy who scored 2.43 points per 60 in the NHL oh, this past listen, season, if, 24 if they, years old. I would take him in a second. Like to I me, thought. like it's, this seems like a no, like the, if you could get him on a million dollar contract and I don't know what he's waiting yeah. for at this point, yeah, I don't. Know. but it, I think he's waiting for it. Like, is he going to get more than that? I doubt it. You know, the other funny one is Andreas Athanasiu, who apparently had a contract offer. And I don't know what Ken Holland offered, but whatever he offered Athanasiu. Now this, this shows, and people talked about this, the calculated risk that Athanasiu's agent and he oh, are taking. Yeah. We talked about it, and you know, you might you might be badly surprised, and they they have been. I think they're they're going to get what will he get now? A million five, um, a million. Uh, well, you know, he might get a two year deal, but he, he probably won't. He's not going to. I don't think he's going to get anything starting with a two. That'd be a, a shocker. But you just you know, maybe Ottawa will step in at the last second here, but I doubt it. 
we talked in at least two podcasts about that, and we we said uh, uh, Holland's, you know, the play for Holland is to uh, you know offer him even two more years, but at you know not at three million dollars, but we talked about two million. Well, the rumor I heard was that Holland did offer two years at two point four, and he turned it down. That so, is the rumor. Ooh. Well, what if about the case, him I'd back be shocked if he gets that now. Well, yeah, bring him back for a million. You see, there's there are all of these really interesting players. You know, there's. Do you have the list, Bruce? Uh, oh, I have the list. Let me just get the list of who's not signed here. I so, think it would be so embarrassing for him to sign that contract that he would rather sign for a million anywhere else than here if it goes that low. <laughs> but we'll see. Mike Hoff. So Mike Hoffman's out there. He'll he'll still get an okay contract, Mike yeah. Mike Hoffman, probably. There's lots of teams with lots of money who, who got absolutely jilted, like Columbus and uh, off the top of my head. There might be a few others. Um, who are the other UFAs? Dadanov. He'll, he'll get some money. Um, UFA. Duclair. Uh, Soderberg. Soderberg had 35 points last year. Dirk Broussard, 32 points in 66 games. That's the kind of ty- Kyle, Kyle Turris numbers we're hoping That's to see. Turris, like about yeah. 35 points. Guy. 35 points would be uh, a nice number out of him. There's Joe Thornton. I don't know if he'll still sign with anybody or not. Brandon Manning. Nobody signed Brandon Manning yet. I'm surprised. <laughs> Your favorite. <laughs> He's such a terrible hockey player. Uh, sorry, Brandon Manning. I'm like, Drake Pajulis. Drake Pajulis <laughs> still out there. Oh, who, who, who would have guessed? Me. Um, I was never, except for these play in the playoffs the one year I was never that enamored with uh, Drake Cadula's play so anyone else Bruce on the free agency list that might come from like a million dollars that you can see oh there's there's been a couple like I say I got kind of on the Dominic Cahoon train and went pretty deep into his stats like uh, uh, big time outscorer too I think in his two years he's on on the ice for 87-4 and 64 against playing for three different teams, so you can't say it's just his line mates. Anyway, uh, so he's my he's my target, but uh, uh, there's, yeah, there's, you know, there, there are guys, but uh, if, you, if you're looking for someone that has a potential to break through that's still likely to be cheap, the list gets pretty short pretty fast. Who do you think, so Bruce, what do you think about the Oilers missing out on a Markstrom? I'm, like, I'm glad that they didn't. And when I did, I did a thing on the winners and losers so far in this offseason. And and that c- kind of guided my thinking. It guided my thinking in terms of making Vancouver a winner. Um, and I know that shot, like, how could you have Vancouver on the list? Well, Vancouver just got a top number one defenseman, top pairing defense, a real top pairing defenseman, hands down, no questions asked, top de- de- pairing defenseman, age 29, so still in that sweet spot for, for you know, 29, 30, 31, 32 and they got him for a third round draft pick, Nate Schmidt. How can you not? How could I not have Vancouver on that? Now, that was gifted to them, but they still gladly accepted the gift. And they missed out on the Markstrom contract. They missed out on, I think, overpaying Chris Tanev, who who isn't uh, yeah. who isn't Nate Schmidt, and has signed four years at 
what is $4.5 million a year at Calgary. They missed out on the Markstrom contract. This is why I have Calgary as a loser in the free agency period and, and Montreal. All these teams who I think overpaid and are going to regret it. Their fans are real happy, happy today. And I've been in that, I've been in that boat, you know, yeah, hey, they signed Andrew Ferentz. Oh, they signed Benoit Pouliot and Mark Fain. Look at that. They signed uh, Milan Lucic. Woo. We've all been kind of in that camp, although our sometimes our, our, our heart was saying one thing and our brain was saying another in those moments. But those fans are all excited in those cities. Bruce, I think they're going to be really disappointed in about a year and a half when it all sinks in. Like the Josh Anderson contract in Montreal, um, the Markstrom contract in Calgary. I remember people being excited when the order signed Lucic. Oh, yeah. People were very you know, excited. I mean, well, you bring in a big-name player with a you know a big backstory. Now, a question from Vancouver's standpoint is they lost out on Markstrom and Tanev to went to Calgary for shade over $10 million between the two of them. And I replaced those two guys with Braden Holtby and uh, 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 Nate Schmidt. And again, it's shade over $10 million, almost the same. So uh, Schmidt's better than Tanev by quite a lot. And you could say Holtby's not as good as Markstrom by quite a lot. And, and did Vancouver come out ahead or behind? Well, if if uh, uh, if Holtby uh, plays reasonably well and if the uh, Thatcher Demko that, that was so great in the end of the That's playoffs, it, if, yeah. if he's for real, I mean, then their goaltending is actually solved for a little bit cheaper. And they've used that extra money to buy a, a better defenseman than the aging uh, Kristanev. Like, uh, I think Schmidt's a clear upgrade there. And the idea of Schmidt and Quinn Hughes on their first pairing is uh, yeah, a little, little I really like Nate Schmidt. I really <laughs> like Nate Schmidt. So I had Buffalo as a winner. And mm-hmm. um, the Taylor Hall contract is, a, is listen, if, if he had signed a one-year $8 million deal in Edmonton, if we had, people would have been through the roof with, with Glee and Edmonton. It, it, the good news is, because it's just a one-year deal, that we'll be having endless Taylor Hall to Edmonton stories. We've already had that rumor. I can't remember which NHL reporter had it today, but a you know, serious <laughs> NHL reporter was talking about how Taylor Hall, so oh, he sure. wanted to come back. And that's the bad it's news, of course, as well. It. It's not going to end. We're just going to have endless, which is part of the fun. Which it's part of the fun. I'm I'm not like the idea of signing Taylor Hall long term in Edmonton. If I'm completely honest, a, a year from now, it's even less exciting than if it would have happened today. Like I'm not a big fan of long term contracts for players heading into their 30s. And there's some exceptions to that general rule. Alex Peter Angelo, I would have made the exception. Like if if the Oilers had signed him and had the cap space, I, I would have been okay with that because he's such a great player even if he diminishes by 10 or 20 percent uh or 30 percent over the term of that contract he's still a top four nhl well, man. you like him better than oliver ekman larson eh? i do significantly better well, he did bump oliver ekman larson out of the top five uh, highest paid defensemen we talked about that in the past podcast about future contracts and and what happens, of course, some of these guys expire and then get extended. And when you got a very high-end guy, everybody else tends to get bumped down the down the charts. There's now five D-men ahead of OEL, where there used to be four. But Arizona's still... a mess right now, Bruce. They got to they yeah. got to make amends with Ekman Larson. They couldn't like my valuation of of Ekman Larson. There were some people saying he's in the top 15. If if he had been in the top 15 of NHL defensemen, he would have been moved by now. Yeah. And that didn't happen. I think that the valuation that we were giving him 
which was maybe top pairing NHL defenseman, but maybe so maybe in oh, the top, top 60 pair. NHL D-men, oh, but okay. not in the top. That's really what, what his value was. So his contract doesn't match up with his with his playing oh, ability goodness. at this point. So Montreal signed Anderson, Petrie, Toffoli, Edmondson, and Allen. And you think, oh, that look at that list of players. That's a good list of players. That's a but I think they they probably overpaid at least a million dollars per year per player on each contract. There even even now. And and if you start to factor in the years at the end of the contract, when at least two or three of those guys aren't going to be living up to that money. I just think Montreal was it. And now they've signed Brendan Gallagher to a six-year, what is it, six, six $6.5 million. And these are all good hockey players. And I'm not saying if you're a half-son, I'm not saying these aren't good players right now. And and I can see the justification on a certain level, but I just think there's a consistent pattern pattern here of, of Shirelli-like overpayments in terms and dollars for each of these players. And so that's uh, six, uh, three, six players in total in that category in the signing period. Yeah. Three of them. I guarantee you, you're going to just greatly, greatly regret even a year, a year from now, three of those contracts. That's that's my bet. A year from now, you're going to really regret. And maybe two years from now, it's going to be four. Hey, maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I that's that's how I see it. If they Here's what those contracts, go ahead. Off the page for me from Montreal, I'm looking at their forward um uh, salaries. Uh, Jonathan Drouin, uh, currently top paid forward left wing. Josh Anderson, right wing. Thomas Tatar, both wings. Tyler Toffoli, listed here as both wings. I see him as a right winger. Brendan Gallagher, right wing. Paul Byron, both wings. Like the top six paid forwards are all wingers. Like, how do you build a team like that? I don't, I don't see that working. Maybe they no, should I mean, have, maybe they have great Kahun. contracts and you know, maybe Kotkaniemi and and Suzuki because they're on entry level contracts and they're and they're players of that level and they're just not getting paid yet. But they're going to need to get paid at some point. And you're going to have all these bloody Josh Anderson contracts in the way of these guys. Uh, it's I, I just don't understand what he's doing there. He's throwing money around like crazy. I mean, this Jake Allen. He traded for the last year of Jake Allen's contract, and without him ever playing one game in Montreal, he just gave him a two-year extension. Oh, I didn't even know that. Today. Oh, today. It's slightly lower pay than before, but still very well paid to be Carey Price's backup for three years. I mean, I guess it's a plan. You could say that's a plan, but the overall plan just strikes me as throwing money at a wall and and seeing if any of it sticks. It's kind of... Tambellini-esque, isn't it? I mean, this is really what it reminds me of. And and so does Benning. Like, Benning's work in Vancouver is Tambellini-esque. esque actually. He, he, Benning uh, got lucky, I mm-hmm. think, with Nate Schmidt because it was headed for a kind of a disastrous offseason there because they, they they had lost useful players to their team and they hadn't been replacing them. And they, partly because they had spent so much money on, on third and fourth line players who just are really marginal NHLers at this point. So... Some, I don't know. I just we've we've been through this in Edmonton so much. You'd be so much better off just waiting. If Montreal had just waited and signed Dominic Cahoon and Andreas Athanasiu, let's say they had signed four guys like that right now to about a million to a million five each, because they're out there. Yeah. And oh, you yeah. had done that. Who's who's to say that Cahoon and Athanasiu aren't going to outscore Josh Anderson and um, Tyler Toffoli this year? Because at points per game, they're all they're all similar. 
So Josh Anderson scored one goal and I think four points in 26 games last year. And he spent the rest of the game injured with some kind of chronic injury. So assuming he comes back healthy, I mean, obviously the injury must have affected his performance. I mean, one goal. But when you take on that kind of a risk and you invest, you know, I mean, they traded Max Domi to bring the guy over. Uh, why pay full freight on a full-term seven, seven-year deal? Like, they traded Max Domi, who was there. He, he scored 2.5 per 60 over the last two years. Josh Anderson's at 1.6 per 60. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a huge gap in scoring. Yeah. That's the difference between a first-line hockey player in the NHL and a third-line hockey player in the NHL. Now, maybe Josh Anderson brings all these intangibles that Max Domi doesn't have, and they, I don't know. But to me, that just on the face of it, the trade made no sense. I, I guess Max Domi probably wanted out of Montreal is... is is the story, but yeah. so another team that that won Bruce and I hate to say this, Colorado. Mm-hmm. First of all, they resisted the Markstrom alert, like they they resisted going after the big goalie when they've got two pretty decent goalies there by save percentage, two really good goalies and Frank Coos and um, you know, what's the other guy Grubauer, mm-hmm. and they, so they resisted spending a lot of money on a goalie. There's lots of pressure on them to do that because of recency bias in the playoffs, and those two goalies didn't come up big. And then, so they resisted that, and then they've got Devin Taves, who I thought, I was, you know, from the playoffs that I watched and and just looking at his numbers is, you know, how much the coach trusted him with ice time and his points per game, uh, points per 60 in those in those ice time exposures. Devin Taves is a top four D-man in the NHL, mm-hmm. and they got him for two second-round draft picks. So that Colorado team, Joe Sackick, he's done really well, and and – you know, Schmidt falling into Vancouver hands and Taves falling into Colorado hands really bummed me out. You know, Barry kind of fell into our hands. Tyson Barry did. Uh, but Devin Taves and and Schmidt, like Schmidt's a really good player and so is Taves. So. Well, they picked up yeah. Brandon Saad from Chicago, also yeah. in Colorado. Yeah. And they, tra- they traded out uh, Zadarov, the second-pairing defenseman, and then they replaced Zadorov with Taves. And uh, I don't know, I, I think that may well be an upgrade. And yeah, Brandon so, Saad up front is an upgrade for sure. So they, they've done some uh, uh, some nice uh, uh, some nice work back there. Uh, Joe Sackick is uh, uh, Trader Joe. They're going to have to start calling this guy. I, I also have Vegas as a winner. They spent a lot of money on Peter Angelo and on Robin Leonard. But honestly, if I was an Oilers fan, and they had signed Robin Leonard to that contract and Peter Angelo. I just, I, I would have been a little worried with Peter Angelo, but I would have been really happy too. I think those are good bets because those are, you know, they got the best goalie on the UFA market and they got the best defenseman. So then they had to shed some players. So they, you know, Paul, uh, which Stastny was it? I'm Paul. forgetting. Paul Stastny. It's, yeah. it's Paul. Um, Paul Stastny. There's been so many. Paul Stastny. No, I don't think he's actually that much of a loss at this stage of his career. They have got the young center there, Cody Glass, who, who needs some ice time. And um, they had to give up Nate Schmidt. Now that, I think, that's an interesting one because it's it's like it seems like the heart of that team on a certain level was players like Schmidt and Flurry, And they're kind of changing, they're, they're dabbling with the chemistry there, you know, seeing if they can bring in new players and still have the same magic that that team seemed to have together. Maybe that's not going to be there, but um, if I was a fan, like just trading, you know, uh, Stashney and Schmidt for Peter Angelo and Leonard, 
yeah, I do. I would make that trade anytime. So I like well, that. Vegas, they've given, they've lost the advantage they had when they first came in, which was cap space. Yeah. They didn't have a bunch of lousy contracts on their, on their books. They didn't have a bunch of dead cap space like a lot of teams do. <coughs> Oilers. <coughs> and they had, uh, um, they were able to go out. I mean, they went out after their great first year and they basically traded for or signed an entire second line of mid-career uh, star players, basically, in Max Pacioretty, Paul Stastny, and Mark Stone. And they paid all of them. Like, two of them, they, they were bought when they were, their con, you know, at rentals at the deadline, and they just paid them. They paid Stone $9.5 million, and Pacioretty got, I think, better part of $7 million. And, of course, they got Stastny on the free agent market, it's because they kind of had, well, we got $20 million in cap space. How best to spend it to fix up our forwards? Now, all of a sudden, they got a great second line behind a great first line. and But now, three years in, and all that cap space is basically used. And any time they want to add a player, they have to clear space for them. So they're adding and subtracting instead of just adding, like it seemed like they were doing for uh, for the first couple of years. So. Someone just signed Mike Hoffman because I'm just... Uh... Looking at the UFA list, and suddenly it seemed like Hoffman was on it, but maybe, maybe I'm incorrect about that. So there's still he's still out there. Okay, in, in, yeah, okay. Uh, let me just go. To, oh, I'm there. Okay, is he third on the list? Um, in terms of um, there still could be a huge winner in free agency. Like if you can go in there, let's say you scoop up, um, Cahoon. A fantasy you uh maybe you sign uh Dadanoff to a, a bargain contract at this point or Hoffman to a bargain contract. Uh there still could be a team that jumps to the front of the pack. There might be some mm -hmm. defensemen, like everyone seems to like Slater Kukuk, at least in Edmonton. Um there could be uh some really good signings yet to come, so we'll see. And some teams could be shooting up on in terms of where they rank overall. Hopefully they're not teams in the owners division. Hopefully it's not Colorado who signs the fantasy U and Cahoon. <laughs> there's <laughs> going to be line. there's going to be PTOs of course galore and that once training camp happens. And I th I think you know you're going to see some I mean it does happen every year but this year it may be even more you know a little higher caliber of players on the PTO that are fighting for jobs and yeah. In the last couple of years, we've seen cases where PTO came in and he didn't have a contract. We thought there's a pretty darn good chance that guy's going to make the team, and he did. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. Alrighty, Bruce. Anything else? Uh, Mike Smith. You have some final words on Mike Smith? Well, yeah. I mean, we took, there's a lot of feedback on uh, on Mike Smith and. Uh, I think you got it right that it was it seemed like it was 80 to 90 percent of people didn't like the mike smith contract oh but when, when you put out a, when you put out a poll saying would you rather have the mike smith contract or the jake markstrom. markstrom contract it was two to one in favor of preferring the mike smith contract so that's that says a lot right there i think forgot about, about that yeah my take on it is that uh, there's a lot of guys in, in this town, and I think all hockey towns, where people, you know, they they would like the player except for the fact they hate his contract. I mean, Chris Russell is a, 
is the poster boy for that in this town. I think Alex Chase on there's there's more. But Mike Smith is almost the other way around. He's a player where, well, Jesus, things we don't like about that player, and that's the player that people were reacting to when they didn't like the signing. But his contract's not that bad. And he, you know, he took a he took a significant uh, cut. Like he didn't just bring him back at the same deal. He took a five hundred thousand dollar cut in his base salary, and a massive cut in his bonuses, from uh, one and three quarter million to just five hundred thousand. So the most he can make if he makes all of his bonuses is two million. Here, that was his base, and then he built a bunch of significant bonuses on top of that. And the increments of the bonuses were last year was 125,000. This year it's just 50,000 when he when he achieves these various things. Like it's a way tighter contract. And if he doesn't play well, well, you can say that's that contract's no good from the get go, and and you'll have a case. Uh, last year he played well some of the time, and he came pretty close to covering the bet on that contract. Like he made way less than Koskinen did, and they split the load, and they, you know, they split the, you know, the, the wins and losses, and and the, the minutes and and the <clears throat> games played and the starts and everything, uh, right down the middle. And now Koskinen's still getting paid, and Smith is getting cut back that little more. I think you'll see a 60-40 relationship, 65-35, with Koskinen getting more starts. But um, the Smith contract fits into the sort of leaner, um, uh, the, you know, the less available cap. And I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Holland convinced Smith, you know, that there wasn't enough money available. And, and uh, I'd see people saying, well, they should have just given him the minimum wage. He'd be lucky just to get the NHL minimum. I don't know. That seems harsh. Like. The guy's been the number one goalie. I mean, he's, he he led his team in starts and minutes and everything in the last two or three years since he came to Calgary in Edmonton. And, you know, he, he, he swallowed his pride and took a significant pay cut. I mean, I, I just don't get this business of, well, just give him the bare minimum like he's worthless or entry-level player. He's way more than that. All right. Well, you make that argument, Bruce, in your in your post tonight. I'm going to be writing a post you, you, tonight. You, it's, it's, it's not going to be like totally in favor of Smith, but the, the, this everything bad, nothing good about the guy is just wrong. I think that's completely a fair point on your part, and I'm glad that you're making that point because he did take a ton of you know sh- juice. Crap well, some and of abuse. it from us. <laughs> some of it from us, and and I think the reaction was honest and real and fair, but on some level, but on another on another level, like. He had one bad month last year, really bad. Twenty-six and bad minutes. Other than that, was pretty darn good. And twenty and one one terrible playoff game. So he can still he he's not a bad backup goalie. And I'm and as I was saying, I just think the Oilers are better off this year in net than they were last year because I'm just that much more convinced Koskinen is a starting goalie in the NHL. Markstrom, you know, the mighty Markstrom had a nine eighteen save percentage. Koskinen was nine seventeen but roughly the same number of games. I think they're roughly the same age, same size. And yet, you know, people in Calgary are overjoyed about this contract that, that they've given Markstrom and Edmonton. were thinking, Oh, we lost some people are thinking, Oh, well, we we've lost out on something. We didn't lose. It. I just think I don't get that. And I don't know why the Oilers and what troubles me a little bit is why the Oilers offered all that money to Koskinen as well. If it's true that they did, 
I, or to, to Markstrom. Markstrom. I don't know we, why Oilers management did that. I think, man, we, I just think, honestly, we dodged a huge bullet. And it doesn't, I think it's, if you want to look for a negative about Ken Holland's performance this year in the trade deadline, if that's true, five, five million a year for seven years for Markstrom, that's it for me. Like, man, Ken Holland, like, I'm not sure. I don't know where your head was when you're making that because you're really law. You're really weighing your team down for a long, long time with a big, big contract on a goalie who may or may not uh, play that well over seven years. Like, do you think mm-hmm. you're signing Martin Brodeur or Dominic Hasek? Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I don't like. I didn't. I didn't like this. So if I was to give him a negative mark, if that's true, it would be related to that. Like that's a, that was not a, I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Well, as a bullet dodge or uh, as maybe, I mean, uh, in the end, the orders actually cut down their goaltending budget uh, to uh, between six and six and a half million dollars for both goalies. And the other thing about the Smith contract is it's, it's, uh, at 1.5 million, in a worst-case scenario, if he comes in and he just loses it and he's lost it, uh, for one thing, Holland did actually sign a third goalie with NHL experience this year, which he never had last year. They spent the whole season on the tightrope without a net. Yeah. If someone had gone down, they were going to bring up some totally inexperienced guy to, to replace him. Now they got this Anton Forsberg. If Smith crafts the bed... They send him out and they bring up Forsberg. They actually save three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, and I mean they're paying they're 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 paying Smith some some uh, uh, you know four hundred twenty-five grand for his buried contract, but they bring up Forsberg at NHL minimum, and they're actually saving money. So they at least have a plan B that's built in. And Forsberg, he's got some pretty nice history that you know he. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I think he might be adequate as an NHL backup. Yeah, I, I really like the Forsberg signing a lot so, for just for the reasons you just enunciated. Hey, Bruce, I've got to get going here. So yep, uh, fair enough. Why don't That's we wrap it up now? That's so, yeah. Well, <laughs> I do have to get going is the main problem, main issue. Yeah. Not that you've said it. We could we could still talk for another hour, I'm sure. And it, people we'll would be on their they, hour, would, they would be gripped. They would be on the edge of their seats wondering what our next utterance would be. But we'll talk for an hour do on a different day. Exactly. Thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.